0: You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart.
1: Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for The Washington Post. Democrats had a very good week. On Tuesday, they took control of the state legislature in Battleground, Virginia. The incumbent Democratic governor won re-election in Kentucky. A state Donald Trump won in 2020 by 25 points. And, uh... And voters in Ruby Red, Ohio, approved a right to abortion in the state's constitution. And according to the Washington Post, this could be the playbook for President Biden's 2024 reelection effort. Joining me now is one of the reporters on that story, Hannah Knowles, national reporter for the Washington Post. Hannah, welcome to First Look.
0: Hey, thanks for having
1: me. All right, so explain how the Biden campaign and Democrats are hoping election night 2023 could be a harbinger of things to come on election night 2024.
0: Well, I think what we've seen in election after election since um, Roe v. Wade was overturned, but also sort of since Trump was elected is that things just keep breaking Democrats' way. It's been a long string of disappointments for Republicans. And so the hope is that, you know, despite all of Democrats' vulnerabilities, um, chief among them, Joe Biden, right? I mean, that's the big question is, is his uh brand you know the one thing that can sort of drag this down given how polarizing he is at this point but but they think that you know if we really make this about you don't want the hand the hand the keys to the car to republicans um because they are interested in restricting an abortion because they are um you know not necessarily able to govern without chaos as we saw in the house um they think that that is ultimately a winning message
1: so what is the, uh, of the wins by Democrats in, in the three key states of Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky, which was most significant to the White House and why?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Can I kind of go through each of them instead of just sure. picking one? I mean, I think yeah. that uh, Kentucky and Ohio, we, we, we sort of expected what was going to happen there. Um, we headed into Tuesday, Tuesday thinking that Andy Bashir, the Democrat in Kentucky, had an edge. And we thought that the uh, abortion amendment in Ohio would pass because that's what's happened in all these other states, including Kansas, which is not, um, you know, that's a that's a red leading state as well. And so that all that doesn't diminish, though, the the significance that, you know, Democrats were able to hold on there, that Ohio voters have now just totally rebuked this six week ban that their Republican legislators passed. Um, But I do think that those states, I mean, they are. Um, there's a lot of sort of particularities there and it's, I, I don't know how much that would necessarily translate to um, other races like Andy Bashir, right? He's sort of a, a political dynasty in Kentucky. He has a lot of stuff going for him. That's hard for other Democrats to replicate. Um, that's it. I think Virginia is really interesting because that was the biggest question mark for me and a lot of political analysts heading into Tuesday. We didn't really know which way it would go. Um, and so the fact that it did tip to Democrats, I think is that's sort of the best like bellwether, probably, for like the national mood. Um, but as many people on both sides have pointed out, this was a close election. And if you know a relatively small share of votes and a few places had gone the other way, we'd have a, be having a very different conversation. And so I think the moral there is like, yes, uh, you know the, the issue of abortion in particular works well for Democrats, but this was not a blowout election by any means.
1: Really? I mean, I
0: know, I, know, I, don't know. I know your news. I'm not sure it was. I mean, That's so interesting. I mean,
1: so tell me your take. Well, okay. So I, I, in all of these races, uh, abortion was a focal point. Um, I remember I was watching uh, a CNN interview that Dana Bash was doing with Governor Youngkin on election night. And mm-hmm. it was something that she pointed out after the interview, she kept asking him about, abo- uh, about abortion because he made it a central tenet of Mm -hmm. Republicans retaking the legislature, and he pivoted away from the issue to talk about the economy and what Republicans Mm -hmm. were gonna do on the economy, and then pleaded with people to go out and vote. And I'm an old man, Hannah, so I was Mm -hmm. around a working reporter when Mario Cuomo, governor of New York, was running for a third term, and Matilda Cuomo, then the first lady of the state of New York, was gave a television interview and was pleading with people to get out and vote. And the polls were closing in like 40, 45 minutes. That was a sign that things weren't going well. So I think, I take your point and I take the analyst's point mm-hmm. that if a few votes had gone one way or another, we'd have a, a completely different conversation. But the fact that these three states did what other states like Kansas that you mentioned or Montana or the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, raise mm-hmm. that these results you know follow those results I think abortion and then the issue of freedom writ large um is really big okay I'm off my I'm off my little soapbox back to you <laughs> back to
0: you totally Hannah. well no I agree I absolutely agree uh, yeah and we and we wrote a whole story about that right too right like the fr- through line here including in Kentucky where yeah like I said you know Bashir is sort of a unique, um, figure in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, voters were certainly talking about abortion law, even though the, the governor, like, can't even do that much about abortion in Kentucky because the legislature is so Republican dominated. And even then it was a just like devastatingly effective attack ad for Bashir to point out, um, you know, that the law doesn't have exceptions for rape and incest and have a victim of rape by her stepfather talk about that to the right. camera. I mean, the, the voters totally noticed that and they remembered that and they remembered the girl's name too.
1: Right, that ad was very, very powerful. She looked right at the camera and she was unsparing. Let's, let's uh, switch gears and talk about the Republican presidential primary race. There was a, a debate in Miami, five candidates. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis offered this criticism of frontrunner by a mile, Donald Trump, listen. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. So, Hannah, how is that line of attack going to play with Republican primary voters?
0: Well, it hasn't worked out super well so far. I mean, it's so funny, right? Because it's like, I think, you know, at the beginning of this primary, we thought there was probably going to be a Republican appetite for, you know, Trump policies without all the baggage, without all the drama. And you heard that from voters when you talk to them. But in practice, um, what we've seen and what you see in like focus groups and, and pulling on this is like, once you start attacking Trump in particular and criticizing his specific policies and decisions and temperament, um people, the rep- Republican primary voters just sort of react offensively and they come up with reasons why it's not Trump's fault. And so, yeah, it's it's been an uphill battle for all the candidates trying to send that message. Mm-hmm.
1: And so the, the last poll I saw has Trump <laughs> 44 points ahead of his nearest competition. Mm-hmm. That could be either Governor DeSantis or former Governor Nikki Haley, depending on which poll you're looking at, are there any signs that anyone is closing the gap against him? I don't think so.
0: I mean, I don't know. Do
1: you see any, do you see any signs? I can't think of any. No, if anything, the gap keeps widening. I, I mean, with every indictment, his, his, poll, his, his spread gets, gets wider and wider. And so I'm just wondering, why are those people on the debate stage? I mean, the, the, it seems well, like the primary I mean, yeah. doesn't want an alternative.
0: Yeah, I mean that could be that could be the more they're hoping they still have time. They've got you know about two months to turn this around with a really strong showing in those early primary states. But yeah, I mean it's just unless you get Trump on that debate stage, it's really hard to see how anything there um, damages his standing, and
1: he has no reason to debate. Right, he, ha- he has no reason to debate, especially since he's using all his court appearances as campaign rallies, but that's a whole other conversation. Hannah Knowles, I can't believe that this is, I think it's the first time you've been on First Look.
0: I think so, yeah. It's really nice of you to have me. It's been a crazy week. It's been, it's I been you a- know, I usually cover Ron DeSantis full time, and so this has been like a nice chance for me to <laughs> dabble in all the other things that are happening in politics. <laughs>
1: Well, you're terrific, You, we need to have you back. National reporter for the Washington Post, Hannah Knowles, thank you for coming to First Thanks Look, so have a good weekend. All right, we're gonna keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post columnists, Jennifer Rubin and George Will. Jennifer, George, welcome back to First Look. Nice to if be here. So before we get to the ramifications of Tuesday's uh, off-year election results, we must talk about West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and his announcement that he will not seek re-election. Um, Jennifer, considering he would have faced a tough uphill re-election effort uh, against the Republican governor, Governor Justice, who, who's running for the running for the Senate seat. How big a blow is this to the to Democrats' chances of holding the Senate majority next year?
2: Well, they go from possibly holding the seat to will be impossible to hold this seat. Um, There's no other Democrat that could win this. So the only silver lining in this is that they won't spend time and energy on what could be a losing race and instead use that money and time to shore up people like Tester, Sherrod Brown uh, and other vulnerable uh, Democrats. Uh, But this seat is pretty much gone for Democrats.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, George? As you well know, um, there's speculation that Senator Manchin might make a third party bid uh, for president under the no labels banner. Uh, no third party candidate has won a state in, president, in a presidential election since 1968. Should Manchin or, or could Manchin break that streak or would he be undertaking a fool's errand? A- 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 and what would the appeal of a potential uh, Manchin candidacy be? The appeal would be if
3: you have uh, 2022.0. 2.0, if you have Biden against Trump again, and large majorities in both parties say they don't want that, that would seem that, that he would be a supply that is in demand at the moment. No labels has said it will wait until early on. Well, not too early on, actually, in 2024. That what they really must do is wait until after Super Tuesday. At which point, if it seems likely and will probably, it it could well be apparent by then, that Trump is going to be the nominee. At that point, uh, No Labels will ratchet up its effort to get uh, a spot on all 50 state ballots. They've got something like $70 million to do the uh, tiresome 50 state litigation to get this done. Uh, at which point uh, I I should think Manchin would be ideal. Now, he's, what, 75 years old, so he's not going to make a whole lot of the age issue, except that he would be younger than Trump and younger than Biden and far more vigorous than than Mr. Biden. So I I think he's seriously thinking about this.
1: Uh, Jennifer, your thoughts on a a third-party bid by Senator Manchin for president?
2: No labels had already said that the top of their ticket would be a Republican. So unless he's planning on changing parties, I think that's out. Uh, I've written a lot about this. No labels is essentially in the role of a spoiler. Um, But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what he plans to do the next couple of months. He said he's going to travel around the country. Um, perhaps he's going to raise some money. Perhaps he's going to uh, get some name ID. Um, but he's not going to be at the top of a no labels ticket since they've already declared uh, Democrats need not apply.
1: Oh, you know, what I I, I
3: did not know that. Go ahead, George. Well, yeah. First of all, I'm not sure how you spoil a mess. And if you get, <laughs> uh, Trump you, tip again, Trump. you tip it to hard Trump. You tip it to Trump. I don't know that. Uh, and it seems to me the polling in this hypothetical four or five months out is unreliable and speculative, and it's barely above guesswork. Uh, no labels uh, is going to have a selection process, and the selection process will not be foreclosed to uh, concerning the top of the tickets. Uh, so so i I, I don't know. You, you the
2: process is, um, is a convention where they pick it. They've already announced that it's going to be a Republican. But I do agree with George that all of this speculation, including the polling about uh, Biden, is pretty much junk at this point. Um, I would love to talk about substance because a lot happened this week since I, I think the polling is, as George said, is very premature.
1: Uh, well, then, Jennifer, let's talk about substance as it relates to the the election results. Uh, on Tuesday. Um, What do you make of it? And do you think um, the White House still needs to be concerned about the president's poll numbers, considering his party did extremely well on election night?
2: Every... President. Every party has to be
1: concerned about poll numbers
2: and about the election, but I want to focus on one particular aspect which I think hasn't gotten as much attention, and that is this issue of schools. Um, the Republicans have tried to make an issue of trans kids, of teaching CRT and all the rest of it up and down the ticket, this was a loser for Republicans. And if you go down as low as school board, city council, those sorts of races, these candidates who were pushing this Uh, notion. Uh, The Moms for Liberty people, the book banning people, they lost overwhelmingly. And I think um, just like abortion, this may be a sign to Republicans that what plays well on Fox News may not play well with parents. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating because that's how Glenn Youngkin ostensibly made his uh, mark in Virginia. Um, That issue lost not only at state legislative uh, level, but school boards and all the way down. So this is not a theme, at least so far, that's working for Republicans.
1: George, I'd love your thoughts.
3: Well, Biden was not on the ticket, so it was impossible to measure in these results whether and if so, the extent to which he is a drag on on uh, the hopes of Democrats down the ticket. Trump wasn't on the ballot either, which means that a lot of his voters, who are what political scientists call low propensity voters. Uh, that is, they're interested in politics when he's on the ticket and not particularly interested otherwise. So they weren't brought out. So I, 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 Again, as a harbinger of 2024, 2023 is fairly limited. One thing we ought to be able to do by now is to retire Tip O'Neill's old saw that all politics is local. turns out, almost nowadays, no politics is local. It's all about national issues. Um, some of those that Jennifer just mentioned, but also abortion and other matters. So, uh, I, I I don't see the harbinger one way or another in, in the results from last Tuesday.
1: And, and and George, I would you you had an ominous warning for Democrats in a column this week. You wrote, and I quote: Despite some Tuesday successes, there meaning d- uh, Democrats' divorce from President Biden is becoming increasingly likely. Divorce? Do you seriously believe that Democrats will throw President Biden overboard?
3: I think the it, it's it's not yet yet a probability, but it's a high possibility in my judgment. Yes, he's one stumble away from uh, further catalyzing anxieties when the country said in that New York Times Siena College poll when when they revealed that. On the, ma- on the question of character, he's within the margin of error with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it, it, it seems to me everything is ominous for, for Mr. Biden. J- Jennifer?
2: <laughs> not happening. <laughs> I mean, it's not okay. happening. I think we should all, right, all stop playing fantasy sure. football and like move on. He's going to be the candidate. Kamala Harris is going to be the vice president.
1: All right, so Jennifer, um, George just mentioned that uh, New York Times Siena College poll, um, and he pulled out the the character uh, data point. But the thing that had everyone's hair on fire, and by everyone, I mean Democrats, whose hair is always on fire, um, it showed that President Biden was trailing Donald Trump in five of the six key battleground states, trailing in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. But that same poll shows that if Trump were convicted and sent to prison, but still the Republican nominee, meaning on the ballot, President Biden would beat Trump. So what does that tell you about Trump and his hold on the electorate?
2: Oh, don't get me started on that poll, Jonathan. (laughs) There were a lot of problems with it, including the fact that um, all of them but one Nevada um, is within the margin of error. So there's lots of internal issues on the poll, and I come back to the point that these early polls are really not significant. Um, I do think, however, There is an interesting question about what Republicans do if he's convicted. And moreover, there's a timing problem. Um, He is not going to go to trial in the case that is most important and most likely to result in a conviction until March Um, That is almost coterminous with Super Tuesday. So there's no way Republican voters get that information, that data point in before they make what is probably the decisive votes in all of those states on Super Tuesday. Now, play that out. Let's say he is convicted. They go to the convention. That convention is not then going to throw Donald Trump out. Um, They will be stocked with true believers, with the MAGA faithful, and they're just going to double down and nominate him anyway. So. So I think Republicans, um, because they live in their their own sort of uh, universe of um, right wing media, really haven't thought this through. But that is a very distinct possibility that they nominate Trump and he is between the Super Tuesday and November 4th, uh, November 5th, I guess it is, um,
0: convicted of a serious or several serious felonies.
1: What do you think, George?
0: George? George?
1: I think George's. I think George's signal is is frozen, or he is incredibly still. Um, So Jennifer, oh, we just lost George. So Jennifer, let me bring. Let's switch gears and talk about Trump's. uh, Really, talk about Trump's legal uh, problems. Um, His lawyers, in the various cases against him, are trying in many ways to delay the trials as late as possible. Any chance that strategy will work?
2: Well, there is one way in which it could sort of work, and that is that in that very important D.C. trial, there are a couple motions, and in particular, one going to presidential immunity, which Trump has filed. Um, Most legal experts think that is a loser, but Trump will take that issue up to the appeals court and then to the Supreme Court, and that could set back things a few months. This is one of those issues which doesn't usually wait. Till the end of a trial, but will be what they call an interlocutory appeal. In other words, the trial won't go forward until that issue was settled. So it is possible that they will lose a number of months or perhaps longer during that. Now, I personally don't think the Supreme Court is going to rush to Donald Trump's rescue. The Supreme Court has enough credibility issues, enough um, issues in which people think they're sort of partisan hacks. Um, but that is the one uh, issue that I think could really delay things. There is the New York trial. Um, I think most voters don't consider that as significant. And even if he's convicted, I don't know that that's a game changer. But keep an eye on Georgia. There has not been a trial dates, a date set yet for mm-hmm. Georgia. and that that's the case, of course, in which you have this domino effect of witnesses and co-defendants who are pleading out. Um, and if you get down to a situation in which maybe the DC case has been put off and Fannie Willis has narrowed the pool of defendants down to three or four people, you might see that trial go forward. And that would be very interesting. That, of course, would be televised. Um, so that would uh, certainly garner some eyeballs
1: um, I, I understand we have George back. Is George back. back? Yes, George is back. Can you hear me? There you are. <laughs> there you are, George. Um, um, you know, I'm trying to remember the question I asked you. When I, that's when Please. I realized you were, you were frozen <laughs> on the screen. But I don't Could you hear it?
3: No. So uh. ask it again.
1: Whatever. Okay. Well, I was gonna say I I I can't rem- <laughs> I can't remember it right now. But let me ask you uh, about uh, Trump's le- Trump's legal issues. And The same question I just I, I asked Jennifer in the interim, and that is, um, will Trump's delay tactics work? Because his his lawyers are using every trick in the book—not trick, using every every uh, maneuver that's available to them to keep his trials from or delaying his trials as late as possible?
3: Well, the mills of justice in the United States grind slowly in the best of times, uh, even when people don't want them to grind slowly. And you're right, in this case, they do want justice delayed as the justice they prefer at this point. Uh, but it's, uh, Some of these cases are, it seems to me, without explosive power. The Mr. Bragg's case in New York, where he says payments to a porn star mistress was a campaign finance violation? Please. And the one that preoccupied people this week, the fraud trial. Who was injured by what uh, Mr. Trump did? It seems to me in a fraud trial, that someone ought to be identifiably injured by a certain ascertainable amount. Of course he'd lied about his, his net worth. He used to say publicly that the estimate of his net worth often depended on how he felt that day. And the cold-eyed men and women of the financial community of New York knew who they were dealing with, and uh, so shed no tears for them. They were not injured by this at all.
1: Um, I, well, I mean, the Attorney General would, would say the, the, the people of New York. But that being said, of all the trials, it seems that this civil fraud trial is the one that has gotten the deepest under his skin um, yes. He, he can't handle this because this gets to his core identity, his core, his core being. He's not going to be able to handle it when Judge en uh hands down, hands down his decision since there's, this is not a jury trial. This is a bench trial, right, Jennifer?
2: Yeah, he kind of keeps forgetting that as he's insulting the judge along the way. It's sort of an interesting strategy, frankly, that as a practicing lawyer, I wouldn't have thought of. Um, Actually, some of the counts require that there be so-called reliance and some of them don't. Uh, The people of New York have a right to expect that financial documents uh, submitted to a bank will um, be honest. And in fact, what um, Ivanka Trump testified to is that they got some very favorable rates because of the representation of his wealth. Uh, She said she wasn't involved in those. She doesn't remember any of that, but Trump made representations. And as a result, they did get Terrific rates. Now, whether or not it all came out in the wash and the bank profited or not is a separate matter, but he would not likely have gotten those rates had he been honest about his uh, financial status. Um, But I do think you raise an interesting point. For some reason, this seems much more real for Trump than some of the criminal trials. And that's because I think his entire identity is wrapped up with being this um, billionaire. And the fact that a judge is going to say, you're really not worth a fraction of what you said were all these years um, is just absolutely, you know um, infuriating to Trump. So that's why I think you've seen him kind of go off the rails.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing is um, depending on what the judge says, it might require Donald Trump, w- depending on the ruling from the judge, might require him to liquidate his business. So Correct. there's a, a whole lot of things related to the former president's identity that are at stake in that one trial in New York. Jennifer Rubin, George Will, um, we got to go. As always, the conversation gets going, and then we run out of time. Thank you both very much for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too.
3: Thanks for listening.
0: For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.